looking for the next couple weeks while Eric is resting, um, I'd kind of continue working us through Ecclesiastes because it was just so fun the last time we did it. You guys agree? Like we had a good time, I thought. It was, it was really great. Um, and it kind of helps. I don't know. It's the summer months, right? We're, I mean, yes, we're busy, but most of you are farmers and ranchers and you're sitting and you're driving, right? Up and down the field or you're dealing with your moo-moos which is what small children call cows, if you were wondering, so now you know. And, and so as we go through this Old Testament wisdom literature, poetry, that, that's kind of the goal, is to, is to reflect and ponder on life. And so I'm going to read what we're covering, and then I'm going to pray, and then, and then we'll jump in. Okay? And I'll be reading Ecclesiastes 1, verses 12 through 18. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Pray. Father God, we just thank you for this time. We thank you that we can open up your word and reflect and think and ponder. I pray that we would do that this morning, that you would open up our ears and our hearts uh, for what you have for us. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Um, I heard a, uh, I call it an analogy, a story. We'll just go with that. Just paint a scenario in your mind, if you will. Let's pretend for a minute that somebody found a safe and cost-effective way to teleport you from one place to another. No limbs are lost, right? And I'm talking like teleportation, like the future, uh, Star Trek. You're there, and then an instant later, you're in another place. Teleport instantaneously. Let's pretend that this exists. And it's safe, it's been, it's been invented, and it pretty much has the same risk factor as you getting in your car and driving 70, 75, 80 miles an hour down the highway, right? Which is a risk, right? Like you take a risk every time you do that. You get in a crash going 80 miles an hour, that's, well, that's not good, right? But they've made teleportation safe, and, and it exists. And so now I could be, I don't know, eating supper in Italy, and then teleport right back home with the leftovers to feed my family. And it's safe, it's effective, it's good, it's awesome. Now, man, for a lot of reasons, if you take the time to kind of think about that, you're like, wow, that'd be really cool. I mean, the Internet age has connected us a lot. Think of how much more teleportation would connect us, right? Because now I can have friends on the other side of the world, and I can just go hang out with them like that. Right? 
So it's kind of a cool thing to, to think about, to ponder. Now, think about it from another perspective. How many infrastructures, businesses, people exist for the sole purpose of creating cars, airplanes, airports, trains, maintaining the, uh, the railroad, maintaining the airports, maintaining the airplanes, building vehicles, building wheels, building the little nuts that go on the wheels. Think of all those people and infrastructures and things. What would happen to them if we all just all of a sudden could just teleport and we didn't need them anymore? What about roads and highways? Think about it. What would happen to roads and highways? Would we need to maintain them anymore? Would, would we need freeways? Shoot, if you live in Chicago, would you need to pay taxes on the tollways anymore? I don't think so. I'm just saying. Now, the point of this little story is, is to point out the fact that every new and awesome thing that comes around, everything we figure out, it has its benefits. But because we live in a fallen world, it's going to have consequences too, no matter what, right? It's like every medication commercial that exists, right? It's like everyone's happy and go lucky and I'm not depressed anymore, but you might be nauseous, high blood pressure, low blood pressure, your dog will bite you and you're, right? Like all the symptoms and things you can think of, they're there. So like there's like this, oh, I'm, I'm not anxious anymore, but now I have all these other things going on. We've, we've tried to fix something and we've only, in, in its way, created more problems, right? Now, when we look at Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes, and especially in this, these few verses we're going to look at, look at this morning, they reveal to us that the more we know, the more we don't know. Any honest scientist will tell you, hey, the more we figure out, the more confused we get, right? Like, yeah, we're made up of a bunch of atoms. What holds together those atoms? I don't know. We're still trying to figure that out. That's why I am drawn to Ecclesiastes because, again, it's a wisdom book. Um, from Just by review, the last time we looked at it, I talked to you about this guy I just named Koholet, which is Hebrew for the preacher or the teacher. And we're just going to say that Koholet wrote this book. Um, and, and the other word that I really enjoyed, which you see like 38 times in this book, is hebel. Hebel is the meaningless vanity, that word. Hebel essentially means mist or vapor. Or one way a commentary defined it that I actually really enjoyed is enigmatic. And that's another fancy word. But it essentially means that it's difficult to interpret or understand. It's mysterious. And so he comes into the picture and says, everything is confusing and mysterious. And I, I see it, I try to grasp it, and I can't get it. That is life. And as you get older, and maybe those of you who are older than me can resonate with this, hopefully, yeah, it's true. The more knowledge I get, like the verse says, there's a little more sorrow to it. 
again, there will be joy in this. I know I'm talking to something very depressing and low and cynical, really, which is my cup of tea because I'm naturally just a cynical person. I think I'm a realist. My wife argues differently, but whatever. And so we're going to walk through this passage, and we're just going to point out a few things. And then, really, at the end of each sermon, as we walk through Ecclesiastes this summer, at the end of each sermon, my hope is to point us back to the gospel and how it applies and teaches and helps us understand even deeper the truths that Quulhalet, the preacher, brings to us in this wisdom literature. All right? So starting in verse 12. That's water, by the way, in case you're wondering. I know it looks like a beer can. It's just it's water. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. Now, real quick. For a long time, people assumed that Ecclesiastes was written by King Solomon. But recent scholarship or fancy smart people who know more than I do have pretty much deduced that most likely he didn't because it was most likely written like during the exile. And Solomon was long dead before the exile. Some might disagree or nod their heads. I don't know. We can talk about it afterwards. But either way, what he's doing here then is that he would attribute himself as king to kind of help us as the reader understand more deeply what he's trying to get us to see. Does that make sense? I'm going to say it makes sense and, and go on. And I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom and all that is done under heaven. So, he's attributing himself as Solomon. King Solomon. Think about Solomon. He was the wealthiest king. Actually, I think even today, most people would say that he was wealthier than anybody that's ever existed today. He was pretty wealthy. Um, there are uh, uh, old giant-looking craters in Israel where people are like, well, well, where do these craters come from? Those were the lakes that he built or his people built during his reign to, like, water his forests. He didn't water gardens. He watered forests. He was very, very rich. He was very, very wealthy. And the one thing that he asked from God when God asked him, hey, I'll give you anything, right? If you go back to his story, he asked for what? You remember? It was wisdom. He said, hey, give me wisdom. And so the author is going to attribute himself as king because when we think about someone who is wise, we think about Solomon. And so he seeks and searches out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. Essentially, I have, with the wisdom that I have, I have looked at the earth. I have looked at everything there is for us to have, everything there is for us to experience and do and be a part of the mundane and the exciting, the good and the bad, the moral, the, the evil and the good, right? He's done all of these things, and I've used my wisdom to kind of look at it and see it. It is an unhappy business that God has given us, or has given to the children of man to be busy with. Now, <clears throat> again, there's a cynicism there, right? He's like, oh, this is an unhappy business. But maybe if you're honest, you can kind of resonate with him because sometimes we look at the world around us and we look at things and we're like, all right, Lord, I really don't know what you're doing here. 
This is pretty cruddy, what's going on around us. All of these things keep happening, right? Bad things. Or, as you get older, more people around you die your age. It's a hard truth to swallow. But, what he's saying here is that this unhappy business that God has given us is he is making us aware to the fact that God is a part of all of these things. Because at the end of the day, that's what he wants us to see. He wants us to see that even though at times we see things going on in the world and they seem like they're a horrible wreck, or as I gain more knowledge, I get more confused, or as I get older and understand more, I now lack the... uh, physical ability to to do those things. Does that make sense? I've heard people talk about that, right? Like, I have this great gray hair wisdom I wish I had in my 20s because then I could have got so much more done. But now I can't because, well, I'm too old to do it, right? That despite all of those things, God is in it and God is involved. And Though it sounds cynical that he's saying, wow, God, thank thank you for all this miserable business you've given us. He's essentially saying that despite it being bad, God is still in it. There is a general will that is happening. It's essentially saying that God is sovereign and nothing, nothing happens without his knowing and say so. Right? I have happy stuff to say, I promise. I think sometimes <clears throat> I think sometimes when we look at texts like this it is hard to see the positive in it and my goal is like I want this to be sobering for you because it was sobering for me. I want this to be an opportunity where you're actually willing to sit and seriously reflect. We don't do that very often today. We rush and then we go on to the next thing. Some of you might be thinking, hey, Jeremy, could you speed this up? I got stuff to get done. I got a tractor to fix. I got a thingy to sharpen so I can harvest the, the thing. You know what I'm saying? I got stuff to do. I've lived here my whole life, and I know nothing about farming and ranching. Forgive me. But I want this to be a sober reflection. I want you to take it seriously. So I am willing to have there be awkward silences where you're like, wow. Did he just say that? Yes, I did. Because it's true. Because it's the reality of the world. It's the reality that every one of us, should we be graced to live a long life, will experience. Right? So it's okay sometimes to reflect on it. And to read about someone else's reflections on it, no matter how negative they are. Verse 14, I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. A few of the terms that I, I guess, kind of glued in on in just this section is you think about under the sun. Because, again, it's it's poetry, right? We kind of have to interpret and figure out what he's trying to say. Under the sun is essentially everything, everything that happens. I have looked at everything that has happened. I have looked at everything that I can look at, everything that happens on this earth, this planet that is under the sun. Make sense? Everything that is done, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. 
Vanity goes back to that idea. It's Hebel again, which, again, I, I really enjoy the definition in an enigmatic. can't even say it. But it's mysterious. It's we don't understand it. It's I don't get, I can't grasp, I can't figure out what this is. Every time I figure something out, it just kind of creates more problems. Like, sure, we can teleport, but, wow, we wasted a lot of land on highways. All we've we got to do is teleport now. Like, what do we do with all that? What happens to all the asphalt? The people who make the asphalt, right? See what I'm saying? It's mysterious. I can't grasp it. I don't get it. It is a striving after the wind. Think about that. You work extremely hard to get something, and it ends up just really not being there because it was wind. I got it. Oh, it's gone. Oh, I figured it out this time. Nope, it's not there anymore. Striving after wind. You keep doing it, you keep doing it, you keep getting the same result. Striving after the wind. And then he says this, What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted And this is what he means by this. It kind of goes back to this idea of like, there are people who who would hold to a worldview, essentially that we as humans have the ability to solve all of the world's problems with our brain, with our technology, with our medical advancements, with, right? Like we can solve everything if we just have... I don't know, a cure for the common cold. We'll solve it. And that's what they believe. And they direly hold to it. But again, any honest scientist is going to say, hey, the more we figure out, the more we actually don't figure out. And the more technology we have, the more problems we end up creating. Like take social media, for instance. I actually think social media is awesome. It's good. I mean, it was created with pretty awesome intentions. Connect others to people. Like, I can talk to people I haven't talked to in years instantly, right? That's a really cool, awesome blessing to have. But in creating that good thing, we created a lot of problems, didn't we? I mean, honestly, the state of our nation has a lot to do with people running their mouths on social media. Let's be honest. Right? And so, what is crooked cannot be made straight. Like, no matter how hard I try, I seem to just make it worse. Like, I created this good thing, but now I've just created more problems to go with it. What's up with that? And what is lacking cannot be counted. I continue to come up with more things. I continue to get this and get that and accumulate that, and it, and it doesn't count because it, it doesn't fill me up. I, I can't find, I can't grasp it. It's striving after the wind. Does that make sense? He's being just gut-wrenchingly honest, right? I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. He's essentially reminding us, hey, what I have to say matters. Like, listen up. Like, I have acquired a lot of wisdom. I know what I'm talking about. This isn't me saying that. That's Kohelet, right, the, the teacher. I haven't acquired all wisdom. No. Shoot, I was trying to think of a passage the other day, and I had to Google the passage and remember where the reference was. So, 
that I'm not talking about myself. And so this person, this Quahelet who's talking to us, he's going, my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. I see these things. And then he's going to do something with these things. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. What does he mean by that? First he goes, I applied my heart with this wisdom, this great wisdom that I have acquired. I applied it to live wisely. So I make good choices. I make good financial choices. I accumulate a lot of really good things. I have a good family. I'm good. I'm moral. I'm right. I'm conservative. I do all, all the right things. And I'm wise. I'm wise with my money. I'm wise with my time. Right? That's what he's essentially saying. He's saying, I have lived wisely. I've applied my wisdom to this side. I've, I've been wise. I've been good. I've done what is right. And then, and then he says, and to know madness and folly. Now, now, let's, now I'm going to apply that wisdom to this other side of the spectrum. I'm going to live life how I deem it. If it feels good, it's right to me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I want, when I want, however I want. And you can imagine in your imagination what that means. You already know, right? And so he takes this wisdom he knows and he applies it to both of these ideals, if you will. On the one end, I am wise. I know who God is. I, I know my place in the universe. I live right. And on the other end, uh, this image of folly is this idea of like, there is no God. I'm the God of my universe. I do what I want. That's pretty much the world we live in today, right? I'm going to live how I please. I determine what's right for me. No one else can speak into my life. It's all about me, 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 and I. He takes both of these perspectives and what does he say? I have perceived that this also is but a striving after the wind. Now, in our heads, we're like, wait a minute, Quahelet, the madness and folly I can get with. Yeah, that is definitely a striving after the wind, because like, right? Like, we know better. We're good. We're in church. We know. How is it that this idea of wisdom and living rightly is a striving after the wind? Why does he say that? Why is it a striving after the wind? I would say that if your whole life is focused on just that, it ends up being a striving after the wind. It ends up being pointless and meaningless. Why? If you are a good person for good, being a good person's sake, let's be honest, before God, you're not a good person. Right? Our goodness is not determined by how good or bad we act. And that's why Kohelet says, if we live our lives on both of these spectrums, for the sake of both of them, they are meaningless. They are pointless. They are striving after the wind. And then the last verse. For in much wisdom is much vexation. Vexation is just another word for confusion. The more you know, the more you don't know. And again, the older you get, the more you realize that, right? Like, I'm, I'm still a young guy. I'm considered in my mid-30s now, so I'm not a young adult. So that's, I guess, an achievement. I don't know. It's cool. But that is something I'm starting to notice. The more I know, the more I don't know. The more I understand things and get things, the more I really don't understand or get things. The more I feel like I've grasped a mystery, the more I'm like... <laughs> 
but, but I really haven't, I still don't get it. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Now, what do you think he means by that? I would put it like this. <clears throat> when you're a kid, like I think back to my childhood, I was ignorant to a lot of things going on around me. Like a lot of stuff happened when I was a kid that I am aware of now that I'm really glad that I wasn't aware of back then, if that makes sense. When you're a small child, you're ignorant to a lot of stuff. Like you just don't see what adults see, right? The older you get, the more you know. There are seasons where it creates sorrow, right? It does. Because really what it means is, is that at the end of the day, wisdom and applying wisdom or knowledge and wisdom, which is knowledge applied, makes us more aware of the reality of the world around us and more aware of the reality of our own wicked hearts. Which, in seasons, will increase your sorrow, will it not? It'll be like, oh, did I just say that? Did I just do that? Man, I should know better, right? I'm in my mid-30s. I'm an adult now. I should know not to do that, but here I am. Right? Now, what do we do with this? Again, as I said at the beginning, I wanted this to be a somber time of reflection where you take this seriously. And so the first thing is, and, and I think I kind of alluded to it the last time I preached on Ecclesiastes, I think it was like a few, few weeks ago, and it's this idea. Like, <clears throat> yes, the more you know, the more sorrow they, there's going to end up being, but that doesn't mean we still don't try to know, right? Like, we should still want to understand and apply wisdom into our lives, Right? God has called us to that. God has given us a brain to perceive and to think and to ponder and to think outside of ourselves, And right? We're his creation. We're made in his image. We should be pursuing those things. But as we grow in our knowledge, the conclusion we should ultimately make is humility. It should humble us. Because, one, this isn't our world. We don't own anything. We're here, then we're gone. Right? Life is but a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Right? That's life. It's over quickly. And really, again, more knowledge applied as you get older. The older you get, the more you become aware of that. Like, man, this is going by really fast. Like, I feel like just yesterday I graduated, and that was like, I don't know, 15 years ago now. Maybe more. I don't know. I'm bad at math. But you understand what I'm saying. It's going by quickly. So it should create humility in us, right? We should be humbled by this fact that we live in this world. It is God's world. We're on God's clock We're called to live and serve and be about him. And actually, if you get to the end of Ecclesiastes, that's exactly what he says. He says, at the end of all of this, fear God and obey his commandments. 
what he says at the end of the book. And the rest of the book is, I mean, as you will see in the next coming weeks, it kind of gets more depressing. Sorry, I love you. Don't fire me yet. Give me a few more weeks, all right? And, and so that's the first thing I would, I would say is that this should create humility. It should also create humility and appreciation for the little things in life, right? Like the mundane things that we do every day. I mean, Ecclesiastes is going to allude to that a lot because there is a lot of things we have to do every day that are mundane and repeatable, right? Like there's always laundry to do, always. Like just by me wearing these clothes right now, I've just created laundry. Same with you. You are all creating laundry right now. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, that's what you're doing. But that's okay. We can learn to find joy in the mundane things because God is with us. God is good. What else can we do? This concept of sorrow, this concept of being aware, keenly aware of the world around us, right? This should create in us a realization of our weakness. Um, which should make us more dependent on God. Because, right, like if we see the world as Koholet sees the world, which is just gut-wrenchingly honest, right? He's like, the more I know, the more I don't know, the older I get, the more cool things I create, I make more problems, uh, I try to straighten out this path and it just gets more crooked, Right? Like, the more we become aware of these things, the more humbled we are because we realize that, like, I I can't do this on my own. I can't do this by myself. I need God. I need the Lord to be a part of it. I need the Lord to be in it. And I need to be more dependent on him because as I get older, I realize I am much more weak than I think I am. Which actually kind of applies to, uh, in summer Sunday school this morning, we talked about prayer. And we talked about this idea that... um, we watched these videos, and it was Sinclair Ferguson, and he goes, I heard a quote once, prayer is weakness. That's how he, that's what he said. And you're like, well, first you're like, well, but, but then you think about it, you're like, well, yeah, it is. Prayer is weakness because when we go to God in prayer, we are admitting to ourselves that we can't do it on our own. And when we're not praying and dependent on the Lord, we think we got it, we can do it on our own, right? Does that make sense? And so this idea of sorrow, or maybe I should have better put it, awareness of the world around us, it should create in us greater dependence on the Lord, right? And then the last thing, the gospel. I always try to throw the gospel in. We should, right? It's in there. And here's how it's in there. One, our God, our mighty, just holy, mighty, I already said mighty, awesome God who created the heavens and the earth, who created the complexities of the human body and everything in between, right? That God became a human and for 30 years lived a normal, mundane, everyday life. It's crazy, right? The king of kings was born. I don't know if you've ever been involved in the birthing process. Who am I kidding? You all have. But especially farmers, ranchers, or even human births. It's a gross experience, right? It just is. King of kings. Lord of lords. Mighty God. Born. Need I say more? He humbled himself 
And, and really, for us, the reminder here is that he did it for you. He did it to save you. He did it to make you whole and new and to breathe purpose back into this meaningless world around us. And so now, I don't have to look at everything as striving in the wind because Christ has given me purpose. So now I do everything in him and for him and make it about him. So now I I do that laundry. I dust the thing I have to dust. I sharpen the, what's it called, a heckle? Sickle. See, I knew there was a coal in it. So that was close. But now we do those things with a purpose because the gospel has set us free to do that. The gospel has brought us back to the fact that God did, in fact, create everything we see and do on purpose, even the hard stuff. And the gospel sets us free to do that. And so the thing that we have to ask ourselves as I close is, one, I already know you're aware Based on how some of you reacted to some of the harsh things I said, I know you're aware. What are you doing with that? Right? Are we dependent on the Lord? Are we willing to see that we are weak and are we going back to him? Are we seeing the just amazing grace and love of God in Christ that he came down and became this very mundane thing to save us? Right? It's amazing, and so I challenge you to ponder that. Again, I want this next few weeks as we kind of walk through Ecclesiastes to be somber reflection. But then at the end of each of it, we have to ask ourselves, like, what do I do with that? Where do I go with that? How does this apply to the meaningless existence I feel I live sometimes? And how does Christ fit into all of it? How does the gospel renew and rejuvenate me and the things I do. Some of the things that I'm hoping to reflect on further as we walk through Ecclesiastes this summer. And so for this morning, we need to be aware that the more we know, the more we don't know. Like we don't, we don't have everything figured out. Humans are the end all be all. I mean, come on. It's just not true. And we have to remember who we need to be dependent on. And, and I like using that, uh, I guess, litmus test of prayer, right? Like if you're praying, you're aware that you're weak. Because in doing so, you're admitting it. Like, Lord, I, the fact that I'm talking to you, I, I know that I'm weak and I need you. And, and if you're not, maybe you think you got it all under control and you don't need them. Because that's generally what our heart does. Let's pray and I'll let you all be. Father God, thank you so much for this time. Thank you that we can open up uh, an old uh, Hebrew wisdom literature book and, and ponder on its cynical, harsh truths about the reality of the world we live in. The reality of things that have happened or are happening or will happen. And that we can sit and somberly reflect on it and see not only the the cynicalness in it, but see how you and in, in Christ and how the gospel renews it and brings purpose to it for us. Help us to remember that. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Have a great week, folks.